Welcome to 1869, the Cornell University Press podcast. I'm Jonathan Hall. This episode, we will be talking with Catherine O'Donnell and sister Betty Ann McNeil. Catherine O'Donnell is Associate Professor of History at Arizona State University, and she writes about religion, culture, and politics in early America and the Atlantic world. She is the author of Men of Letters and the Early Republic, Cultivating Forums of Citizenship, and the newly published book by Three Hills, Elizabeth Seaton, American Saint. Sister Betty Ann McNeil belongs to the Daughters of Charity Province of St. Louis. A clinical social worker for over 20 years, she has worked in a variety of social ministry roles in institutional, parish, and community-based settings, and is also a Vincentian Scholar-in-Residence at DePaul University. We talked with Catherine O'Donnell and Sister Betty Ann McNeil about the new book on Elizabeth Seton, her history and legacy, and the special event at the National Shrine of Elizabeth Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland, commemorating the 43rd anniversary of her canonization. Hello, Catherine and Sister Betty Ann. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. We're delighted to have two renowned experts on the life of Elizabeth Seton on this episode, and the timing of this conversation is very fortuitous. In a couple days, Friday, September 14th, will be the 43rd anniversary of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton's canonization. There will be a special event at the National Shrine of Elizabeth Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland that day. Could you tell us a little bit more about the event? Emmitsburg, Maryland is where Elizabeth Seton died in 1821. And as the home of the National Shrine, where her remains are uh, enshrined, the staff and the leaders wish to celebrate the anniversary of the canonization, not only with a mass, a special mass celebrated in the Basilica of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, but also with a program following featuring Dr. Catherine O'Donnell, whose new biography will be released this month. And there will, it will be a conversation with the author, helping everyone understand how Catherine came to know Elizabeth Seton and what motivated her to craft the beautiful new biography. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes, the, the new biography by Catherine O'Donnell, Elizabeth Seton, American Saint. Um, it's officially out uh, September 15th. It's a beautiful book, both inside and out. And um, we're, we're proud and delighted to be publishing it. Could you please uh, provide us with a brief overview of Elizabeth Seton's life? Of course. Um, she led a really unexpected and dramatic life. Uh, she was born in New York as uh, the revolution, the American Revolution approached. And her childhood was unsettled by that um, and its aftermath and by the death of her mother. Uh, when she was very young, she had um, a stepmother who I think of as kind of awkward and young had, had difficulty nurturing Elizabeth and her older sister. Um, she grew up and she had a number of uh, uh, half-siblings uh, of whom she was very fond. She uh, was always interested in books and thought and in prayer. Um, 
And she uh, married very happily at a young age, and she eventually had five children with her husband, William. He was a successful merchant, but uh, he began to show signs of tuberculosis. Uh, they thought of it as consumption. And his uh, merchantness also faltered um, and eventually failed, uh, more due to the difficulty of commerce at the time, including the Napoleonic Wars, than to his any, anything he did wrong. Um, so uh, they go to Italy trying to save uh, William and his business. And he dies very quickly there. And he is taken under the wing of um, a family, Matheliki, who had known William and who had also had an interest in spreading Catholicism. And so she realizes that a very recent widow, she realizes that they are interested in converting her to their faith. She has been um, uh, an Episcopalian, the church that used to be Anglican. And at first she is kind of amused, and then she is curious, and then she becomes deeply moved by what she learns of Catholicism, what she feels of Catholicism. But when she returns to New York with one of the Feliki brothers, she uh, undergoes this agonizing months-long process of sort of vacillating between Episcopalianism and Catholicism, not knowing what's best for her, for her children. Uh, she finally decides um, that she will become a Catholic. And from that decision then flows uh, many other consequential decisions. Uh, she eventually goes uh, to Baltimore with her children um, and then out to Emmitsburg where she founds uh, what would be the American Sisters of Charity. And that from that flows a number of other religious communities um, who have done social and benevolent work uh, ever since. So that would be my effort at a short account of her life. Sister Vivianne would have a, 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 a different approach. So I'm curious to see what she would add. Well, I certainly think you gave a really fine overview, Catherine. And as a woman, and as a wife and mother, I think Elizabeth Seton so much to offer as a role model for the modern uh, person, women in particular, and family life in particular, because her family, was very troubling to her. She, there was tension in relationships. The, the uh, early childhood parental loss of her mother, the estrangement from the stepmother, finally conflict, marital conflict, which boiled over and she and her sister were sent off to live with relatives. She went, seems to me, an adolescent depression and even yeah the drug overdose at one time she loved music and music is such a big thing and in, in today's world but as a woman who also was called on to be a caregiver and a caretaker and raising she was raised in a blended family and her husband was part of a blended family and right. Time she was caring for a blended family when her father-in-law was widowed. She knows what financial distress is, bankruptcy, rejection by the Italian tension as many immigrants are treated today. Yeah. Just a mission-minded woman, a woman of faith, 
regardless of whether she was in her native church as a Protestant Episcopalian or later as a Roman Catholic. I think she's someone that many, many women can can relate to. Such an ins inspirational life uh, with, with a lot of um, difficulties along the way, for, for, for sure. Um, what were the miracles attributed to Elizabeth that resulted in her canonization as a saint? Well, you know, the cause for canonization process has undergone many changes over the years, but during her particular cause, there was first of all a cure of a daughter of charity of living uh, in the St. Louis province in 1935 of pancreatic cancer. And the sister lived seven more years, a healthy life of service. The second cure was of a little girl, Anne Teresa O'Neill from leukemia when she was about four in Baltimore. And that child is a mature adult still living today and married and has a, have a large family of children and is a very happy grandmother in her faith. The, those two were for the beatification and the third miracle for the canonization was of Paul Kaling of New York, who was cured in 1963 from fulminating meningoencephalitis complicated by primary rubiola. And he attended the canonization and died the following year. So in addition to these uh, uh, incredible miracles, she set up Sisters of Charity and, and cared for countless orphans and widows and poor families. Uh, could you tell us a, a bit more about the Sisters of Charity? Yes, the, the, the miracles continue in my uh, opinion. However, there's not the documentation and the validation that was required by the church. Um, established the first community of religious women living an apostolic life of commitment to serving people who were oppressed by poverty. Her primary goal initially was educating poor children, poor girls. The idea of a religious community arose in conjunction with her work with the Sulpician Fathers in Baltimore, and she adopted and adapted all of the Daughters of Charity drafted by St. Vincent de Paul and St. Louis de Marriac for their non-cloistered women in Paris in the 17th century. 19th century American version the same with the modifications, probably focusing on education of girls, provided the, the lay of the foundation for all of the members of the Sisters of Charity Federation who traced their roots to the scene. The charism, the spirit is seeking out and serving people living in poverty in a spirit of humility, simplicity, and charity. And while there were other sisters in what became the United States, 
Seaton's day, for example, the Ursulines down in New Orleans or the Carmelites in Baltimore, the Sisters of Charity were the first community established in the United States. In your opinion, what do you believe are Elizabeth Seaton's greatest impacts on American Catholicism? Um, I, I would certainly have to think of the Sisters and Daughters of Charity um, as the institutional expression of, of, of her Catholicism. And then she also, I think, inspires people informally. So um, Sister Betty Ann has described um, the kind of enormous amount of charitable work that these um, apostolic women have done across the centuries. And even at the in the very earliest stages of their work during and just after Elizabeth Seton's life, they're providing um, a public um, space that people could respect and understand for a religion that was really quite mistrusted at the time. Um, and they're also doing um, a, a sort of educational work at a time when there are not many priests. Um, and they're doing kind of social work that one might think a government would do, right? Caring for impoverished children or orphaned children, but that the government was not doing at that time. So they're doing the labor of both the church and the state in an interesting way. Um, and they also, without sort of sisters and daughters of charity, I think the Catholic church would have had much more of a problem transforming itself from what was essentially a rural Southern institution, right, in Maryland, to uh, an institution that flourished in the cities of the North and really had uh, sisters and daughters of charity understood how to work and among a variety of people. I, I'm not sure the church could have made that, that transition. But out, outside of the, the institutional expression of, of her legacy, I do find that people... Um, feel they have a personal relationship with Elizabeth Seton. And some of these people are very comfortably within the Catholic Church and others are not. Uh, others see her as a woman who um, was a single mother for, for, uh, for much of her life uh, because of her widowhood, um, who uh, struggled to balance uh, work outside the home uh, with, uh, with her children, a woman who kind of grew in humility and compassion in ways that overflow um, maybe a particular doctrine, right? Or a particular church's borders. And so I think in that sense, Elizabeth Seton spreads some of, um, some of the teachings of Catholicism in ways that more formal institutions struggle to do. One could say probably that she was the compassionate and loving example, giving witness to the gospel of loving your neighbor. Yes, first, absolutely. First missions that she sent her sisters to were to manage an orphanage in Philadelphia in 1814, and then to establish an orphanage and a school in New York in 1817, in addition to local um, ministries within the broader Emmitsburg area. One in particular, I think, had a great impact, and that was at Mount St. Mary's, now Mount St. Mary's University, which includes the seminary, 
dating back to 1808, where the sisters assumed responsibility for the domestic and liturgical services. And at that time, most of the students who were ordained to the priesthood later became bishops in the United States Catholic Church and requested Sisters of Charity to serve in their diocese. And the church developed. It is said by one of them that Mother Seton did more for the Catholic Church than all of us bishops put <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So now on the on the historical side, uh, that, that also has ramifications on our modern time, how did Elizabeth Seton confront the challenges of living a single-minded faith in a diverse nation? This is something that I, um, I thought a lot about as I was researching writing, um, and in part because it is in the sources, right? It's part of her life, but also because there continue to be so many arguments about how people live out their faith um, in a world in which, in a country in which, a world in which people believe quite different things and believe them at varying levels of intensity. Um, so I was struck by her, Elizabeth Seton's to rethink her approach. And there's something extraordinary about someone who can both have strong beliefs and also change her mind um, uh, about how to enact them or what obligations they placed on her. And um, shortly after her conversion, she's more eager to persuade others to believe as she does. Um, and she sees it as an obligation, right? She, she sees this as, as a gift she must give uh, because it will bring people the chance of salvation. Um, it does cause enormous heartache uh, for her, for her family, for her friends. Um, and I see her um, as uh, changing uh, across the next couple of decades of her life so that she uh, became even sort of more humble in her understanding of how she had come to the church and less willing to try to argue anyone into anything or even to persuade. And her approach seems to me to have become one of living out her faith in very rich and compassionate um, and humble ways and her thought was that if people saw her uh, life and wondered what the source of this serenity and compassion and then that would be the way she would share her Catholicism. Interesting, interesting. I also believe that as a more mature um, woman and schoolmistress, she tended to be more ecumenical and yeah. inclusive. She was willing and did accept children from Protestant families and talk with her parents about whether the child should go to the religion class or not, etc. And she really made this decision as the schoolmistress in opposition to the recommendations of the John Dubois, who was a collaborator with her. Absolutely. Catholic students. 
So I do believe that was an area of um, inclusivity, which we certainly should be aware of in, in this day of diversity. Well, I want to thank you both so much uh, for just a small taste of the breadth of Elizabeth Ann Seton's life. Uh, you both are a wealth of information, um, and anyone that's interested um, in Elizabeth Ann Seton, you're, you're, you two are the, the main sources. Um, and we have this new book coming out, and we also, there's the event coming up in a couple days. Um, in Emmitsburg, Maryland. There's a lot going on to celebrate the 43rd anniversary of her canonization. Um, and again, I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast. It was a, it was a pleasure talking with both of you. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you, sister. That was author Catherine O'Donnell and sister Betty Ann McNeil. As a loyal listener to the podcast, we would like to offer you a special 30% discount to purchase the new Elizabeth Seton biography on our website please visit us at cornellpress.cornell.edu and use the promotion code 09POD at checkout. Thank you for listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast.